Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us, a program that spotlights the University of Virginia, the Atlantic Coast Conference, and college football and college basketball, sports and teams we love so very, very dearly. The show is live on all social media platforms. You, the viewer and listener, can shape the discussion by asking questions of Hootie Ratcliffe, offering comments on, on the topic matter we're covering. We'll weave in your ideas, your perspective, live into the show. As we start today's program, I see six different states on the show, and we're grateful for your support. We'll give some props to Judah Wickhauer, the director of the program, and ask Judah to go to the studio camera and then the two-shot as we welcome our star, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, a member of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, and a man with how many years on the beat? Hootie? 42. 42 years on the beat. You started... You're not I, even 42 years old. I'm not even 42 years old. That is exactly right, Hootie Rackley. Um When did you start? How, you, you started in college, right? Not here. I mean, I, um, I got to Charlottesville at the same time as George Welsh. If memory serves, Pulaski born and raised? Yes. I remember that. You sent Down me... Down in Southwest Virginia. That's right. You sent me, Hootie, on a uh, baseball assignment in the uh, Virginia High School League um, baseball state playoffs to Pulaski, Virginia. Calfee Park. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> and you told me when I went, look around. This is my hometown. I will never forget that. I was 20 years old when you sent me on that assignment. It was a hell of... It was a long drive. That is long. <laughs> From two, and, you know, two and a half hours plus. Yeah. That was the longest drive for me so far on the, uh, on the beat some 20 years ago. All right, Hootie, we got questions already coming in. Before we get to the viewers and listeners, my friend, let's go inside training camp, inside the huddle. What trends and storylines have you seen so far from Tony Elliott's team? I guess one of the big question marks uh, out of yesterday was the Chico Bennett situation. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, that's a, an issue. A, an area of concern because he was wearing uh, a boot and on crutches during practice. Um, but, you know, I, I think as we get nearer to opening date, playing a top 10 team like Tennessee, a lot of things are, are starting to come into the picture for Virginia. Their offensive line, I think, is starting to get a little bit more cohesive, a little bit more uh, chemistry developing on that line with some of the guys have been in the program for a year or two or three now they have a couple of new faces as well uh, one of the interesting things yesterday was that Tony Elliott told us that coming out of Saturday scrimmage their first scrimmage of training camp was that the backup uh, Calendra was pushing Tony Mus Musket uh, at the quarterback position, which was, uh, I think, everyone found very interesting because this kid is a true freshman. Uh, he was playing high school ball this time last year down in Florida. Um, I think he's from the uh, – I'm not sure what part of the Florida. I think he's from this Jacksonville, but I may be wrong about that. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's right. But uh, – I asked Tony specifically about him yesterday. I said, you know, uh, Calendra is, uh, he's not a big guy. He's hes pushing six foot, I think. He wasn't widely recruited. He was mostly uh, mid-major schools that 
that offered him. Um, I said, well, you know, what is it about him? Is it is he an overachiever? Was he overlooked? And, and Tony said, he said, well, he said, the kid is, he's got a big arm. He's just got a really big arm. And uh, he, he had incredible numbers as a high school quarterback in Florida. Uh, put up some some very eye-popping passing statistics. And he said, you know, he's just a really confident kid. He's, he's got a lot of moxie. Uh, he, he doesn't play like a freshman. And uh, I, I think it's good for Tony Musket to get pushed a little bit in training camp. Uh, you know, everybody had just assumed that it was his job after Jay Wolfolk decided to drop football. And so... Uh, Maybe Tony can't cruise quite as much, and it, it, it's good to have competition. It brings out the best in both of these guys, and and it's probably a good sign too because uh, I think we discussed in last week's show that if something happens to Tony Musket, it's good to have a backup, somebody that is competent in, in the backup role, and so th- this kid could develop into that. Anthony, if, if he's not starting, who knows? Right, right. <laughs> Anthony Calandra, St. Petersburg, Florida. St. Petersburg, that's right. Five foot 11, 180 pounds. Right. He's a first year. Um, the Who's traveled to Tennessee, as, as we all know. Right now, Tennessee a 28-point favorite. The over-under, just under 59 points at 58.5. James Watson, hello and welcome to the program. Does it worry you at all that, that Musket is being pushed by a first year that's never taken an actual snap in college football? Well, that's a good point. And I guess there's a, a pro and a con to that. Um, it's probably good in the fact that, like we said, he is getting competition and that this other kid is showing some competence and some ability. Maybe not so good that a guy with four years' experience is being pushed by a true freshman with no experience. So... Um, it's all going to pan out. We're, we just don't know. And, and I don't think anybody's going to know until we see these guys in live action. And I'm not even sure the first game is going to tell us that much about Virginia because it, it's a clear mismatch. If Virginia can just show up in Nashville and be competitive, I think would be a feather in, in their cap. If they, if, you know, most people are expecting a blowout. Uh, they're facing <clears throat> one of the <clears throat> most prolific offenses in the nation a year ago uh, with a lot of people back and a, a dynamic quarterback. So um, I, I don't know that we're going to have a lot of answers to the quarterback situation until we get further along in the season. John Blair, hello. Welcome to the show. He's watching in Stanton. Vanessa Parkhill, hello. Earliesville's finest. Kevin Higgins in Greenwood. Travis Hackworth in Danville. Brett Lellard in Keswick. Guys, if you have questions, put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Robinson Hubbard, the Esquire, and the fanatical UVA fan. Jamie Turner, repping the pep and call pepper. Liza Borges, hello. Thank you for watching the show. I see a couple of questions, which we will get to in a matter of moments. Um, in fact, why don't we get to the, uh, the question on the quarterback, Anthony Calandra, now. This question is coming from Jennifer. And Jennifer is watching in short pump. She said, is Calundra the young man that really shined in the spring game or early in training camp? Is that the same guy that I remember reading on Jerry's website? Yes. Good memory there from her. Uh, yeah, he, he uh, again, it was a spring game, so you got to 
keep everything in context, but he did have some very good numbers in the spring game. He, he threw the heck out of it, and he wasn't shy. And I think that's what caught uh, Tony Elliott's eye, is that he had a true freshman come in and, and uh, just be aggressive, and, and he didn't mind throwing the ball deep. We didn't see Musket throw the ball deep that much in the spring game. Uh, a lot of his were dinks and dunks and mid-range stuff. Uh, Calandria wasn't afraid to throw it down the field. And uh, again, as Tony Elliott said, he's got a big arm, so that's not a problem. It's just sometimes uh, I think they had to try to hold him back a little bit because he was he was one of these it's kind of kind of the Brett Favre mentality that I can throw it 50 yards into a window pane. And sometimes that window pane's not there when the ball gets there. So, I, you know, I, I think that they really appreciated the, the fact that he was aggressive and uh, had no fear. And, and that's what you want in a quarterback. And uh, But she's right. He, he did have a very good spring game and a pretty good spring in general. So I think that's what pushed him into the position that he's in right now. Sandra McDonald, McDaniel shared the show, liked the show. Emily Perry, which I believe is family to you um, over there. Yes, granddaughter. Your granddaughter just shared the program. Uh, thank you for doing that, Emily Perry. We appreciate you, and thank you to uh, you know being a frontline. She's a registered nurse, if memory serves correct. Yes. We, we champion the nurses and the police on this network often, and certainly will today. More questions coming in on the quarterback scenario. This is a fantastic question that's coming in from Matthew in Buckhead, Georgia. He said, is there a point in the season where Coach Elliott will consider the other quarterbacks on the roster because we know Musket is not the future of this team? Uh, hey, Matthew, I was just in Buckhead last week. Uh, but, uh, well, that's to be determined. I think uh, – even though Calandria will probably push Musket, as Tony pointed out yesterday after practice, I still think it's his job, and he has to lose it. It's his job to lose or his job to keep. Um, who knows what may happen down the road. Uh, I'm sure that Virginia is trying to recruit some good high school quarterbacks. They just lost a really good kid out of Richmond, Highland Springs, to Maryland in the recruiting battle. Um, this guy was highly rated. So they're definitely out there looking for an, an a future upgrade. Uh, Calandria could be the quarterback of the future. It, who knows? You can't write off Musket. Um, he had over 5,500 yards passing at Monmouth and was CAA Player of the Year a couple of years ago. <clears throat> we we got to give him a chance to see what he can do. Uh, you know, just just because he was at a lower level doesn't mean that he can't be successful on this level. And, and he's a very confident kid. He's got tons of experience. There's a lot of question marks about him, you know, whether, whether he can handle the job or not. And I'm sure that's something that's – he's wearing that chip on his shoulder every day to practice – so it's just, you know, you, we really can't predict that at this point. A lot of people don't think he's the quarterback of the future. Some people are, think you just got to keep an open mind and give him a chance. But uh, I, I think that's a question that's yet to be determined.
Uh, Christopher Stevenson's got a comment for you. Guys, we love the interactive nature of the show. Keep the questions and comments coming. Uh, he's watching in Harrisonburg. First, he gives a shout-out to your shirt and asks if that's repping JMU. <laughs> he's watching in Harrisonburg. He says, is, is uh, Mr. Ratcliffe repping our JMU Dukes with that shirt? Go purple. And then he asks this question, do they truly have a quarterback on the roster that fits Coach Elliott's pro-style offense? It's a good question. Well, I think Musket, the offense he ran at Monmouth is somewhat similar to what Virginia runs now. So, yes, they do. Uh, Calandria, I think, can probably fit into that offense well. He's a he's basically a passing quarterback. He's not uh, the dual threat quarterback uh, th- that Bronco Mendenhall used to like to bring into the program. So I think both those guys probably fit the profile. Uh, how well they perform in it is yet to be seen, and we'll we'll take note of that as we go along. But I'm sure they're out there shopping around for a more dynamic guy with a higher profile that, you know, kind of like the quarterbacks that Tony Elliott coached at Clemson who went on to million-dollar contracts. Some pretty good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, no, it's not, sorry to disappoint you. It's not a JMU shirt. Uh, I bought this at a golf shop in Hilton Head a couple of years ago. <laughs> I just like the color. But uh, We're JMU fans here, though. Yeah, JMU's, I love what they're doing with their football program over there. They should be very proud. And I think they're going to make a lot of noise in, uh, now that they're a Division One FBS program. I, they beat some really good football teams last year. And, and uh, if you're a JMU Dukes fan, I think you've got a very bright future. Um, we'll get to the questions about the schedule coming up here in a matter of moments. Um, but before we do, how about the, uh, the, Chico, um, the Chico Bennett update and injury? Um, I read an article on jerryratcliffe.com. I'm on your website every day. Viewers and listeners, jerryratcliffe.com. For all your UVA sports news, he does a hell of a job. The Jerry Ratcliffe team does with creating content. Follow him on Twitter as well. I mean, we're talking one of our stud defensive players here. A defensive end that can get in the backfield, that can just be a nightmare for opposing offensive linemen and quarterbacks here. Are we seeing a potential knee injury, and do we know yet the significance of the injury? Well, we don't, uh, at least not as of the end of the practice day yesterday. Um, Defensive coordinator John Rudzinski, who I really admire the job he's done with Virginia's defense, told me a couple of weeks ago that Chico Bennett has 2,000 college snaps, and there's not a lot of people in the country that have that kind of uh, experience under their belt. He was looked upon as one of the leaders of this defense coming in to camp, and Virginia's leading pass rusher from a year ago. He had seven sacks, the most of, on the team, the most by a Virginia player since Jordan Mack in 2019, who only had seven and a half sacks. <clears throat> so they were looking and depending heavily on him to lead that pass rushing effort this season. Uh, they've got some pretty good pass rushers, I think, and and he was the guy that was going to lead the core. I mean, I know Chris Slade uh, told me, he said, you know, I've, I've challenged these guys. I told them if we don't have 25 or 30 sacks from just my group this year that they're all bums. So, And Chris Slade should know, right, because he's still, Jerry, after uh, uh, 30 
some years, he's still the all-time ACC quarterback sacker in uh, conference history. So He would know. He would know if anybody would know. In fact, it was funny we were talking to him and uh, – I said, how hard is it to coach your position? He says, he says, well, some of the other coaches have told me, he says, you got to settle down because you're out there looking for you, and there's no yous out there. So, uh, but, yeah, Chico Bennett, uh, it was interesting. Tony, Tony Elliott told us yesterday he had never seen anything quite like it, that after the scrimmage Saturday over at Scott Stadium that uh, Bennett was had taken a knee, uh, got up, and uh, just popped up, and his knee just stiffened up on him. Uh, Elliot said he had never seen anything like that in his career. Uh, doctors, I guess, took him in for x-rays and started scanning, and as of yesterday, they just weren't certain to what degree the problem was. So he, he was on crutches. At practice, I guess may, maybe as a safety precaution, if nothing else, uh, I would imagine as good as uh, Dr. David D. Duck and the guys over at UVA Orthopedics are, um, they'll have an answer probably, I would think, before the day's over. I don't know whether they'll release that information or not. If they do, we'll have it on our website pronto. But, uh, you know, it sounded like yesterday that Tony was prepared for the worst, if that's the case. He said if it's two weeks, four weeks, two months, four months, you got to go to the next man. And he says we're getting four or five guys ready to fill in the, at that position. And uh, some of those guys could move along the defensive line from defensive tackle to defensive end or from outside uh, linebacker into that bandit position that he was so good at playing. It's a shame because he had just come off overcoming a shoulder injury previously to the last year. George, <clears throat> excuse me, Georgia Tech transfer, really good kid, one of the, one of the uh, characters on the football team. So he, he's a good locker room guy too, a good leader. Um, Chico Bennett, guys, two, uh, 2022 All-ACC Honorable Mention yes. uh, player. He uh, he's an impact guy, so we got to follow this this injury closely. The defense does have st some stability. Eight starters return. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on your website now on JerryRatcliffe.com, and you write if Bennett cannot go, the Cavaliers are going to have to rely on others to fill the void. Senior Ben Smiley has moved back outside after having played inside last last season. Grad student. There's a grad student. Um, that could jump in the game. Cam Butler, uh, another guy that could jump in the game. Terrell Jones, Bryce Carter. So it could be a scenario where they have to fill in by committee. Still, seven sacks. Um, Chico Bennett's production should not be underestimated. Oh, absolutely not. He, he was one of the bright spots on a, a very surprisingly good defense last year. And as good as it was, they didn't put enough pressure on quarterbacks. And that hurt them a lot in certain games. Something that they were going to try to focus on and shore up for this season and try to make that more of a force and create more havoc, put more pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And certainly he was the key guy they were focusing on in, in making that happen. Um, Ben Smiley is an interesting guy. I mean, it looked, I saw him yesterday or two days ago. 
the guys trimmed down. He was a beast of a guy last year, and, and he was kind of playing at, out of position last year, defensive tackle. So they've moved him back to defensive end, where uh, he looks like he's more mobile now, and uh, now that he's trimmed down. He came in with a heck of a reputation, and, and Tony uh, Tony Elliott told us yesterday, and he, he couldn't help but laugh. He said, you know, he said, I told Ben, I said, Ben, you got to do something, man. He said, I've been talking you up for two years now, uh, that you're the most athletic and, and twitchiest guy that I have on this defense, and, you know, it's time to produce. And so it'll be interesting to see if Smiley can – follow through with that uh, he, he's a, a big strong kid from the Richmond area and uh, he could make a difference if he can find the key turn on the light bulb as they as they say and, and start making something happen 6'4 270 smiley in his fifth year big dude uh, big guy um, watch out for number 10 on the football field you're getting props on LinkedIn this from Liz Nottingham she says, Jerry Ratcliffe is and has always been one of my favorite sports writers around. That's from Liz Nottingham watching on the LinkedIn platform right now. Um, Liz, thank, you, thank Liz. you. Thank you for watching. Amen. I concur with that. More questions coming in. Uh, can you boys talk? And, and this is one of our headlines. We promise we'll bring this up to you guys. Uh, but this one's coming in from Arlington. How about you boys talk about that 34-year-old kicker walking, walking on the football team? What a story. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a, a potential movie script here. A 34-year-old earns a roster spot in the ACC for Tony Elliott, a walk-on kicker. All we need now is for him to hit a couple game winners, and the script gets even more uh, enjoyable to write and to read and to watch. Yeah. Show is yours on a 34-year-old walk-on kicker, Hootie. Uh, Matt Ganyard uh, seems like a great kid. We, we haven't met him. Yet, and there's a reason why. Uh, he's an ex, I believe, Marine helicopter pilot. And uh, I, he, I can't remember if he's in the Darden School or not, but I know he's a, a grad student. But uh, he's second year at Darden. Yeah, he graduated from UVA in 2011, I believe, and um, with his undergrad. He, uh, he's an incredibly interesting story, and uh, I don't know when or if we'll ever get to sit down and, and find all this out, unless he does something that warrants it in, in terms of getting a headline by making a game-winning kick or a kick of any kind, because, Jerry, everybody wants to interview this guy, like you said, he's a great story. This has never happened at UVA before. Every now and then we'll see it somewhere around the nation where an older guy will pop up on a roster kind of living a dream or uh, uh, fulfilling an, an, a dream that, that they had and, and never made it come true. But with Matt Ganyard, there has been national programs wanting to have him on their shows. And um, he has declined all interview requests because, as you might can imagine, being a, a former Marine, it's not about him in his mind. It's about the team. He doesn't want to do anything to distract from this team and what they're trying to do. 
he doesn't want to draw any attention to himself. And so we, until he does do something uh, that's noteworthy, at least to him, we may not get a chance to talk to him, really. And uh, it's, a, it's a great story out there, and, and you're right. It, it, it's the kind of stuff that Hollywood scriptwriters love. And who knows? He may make an impact on this team. He, it's an interesting fact to me that he's worked with Nick Novak, Alvaro High School graduate. Who has a kicking school. You, yeah. you probably remember him. I did. Him. I covered him yeah, under I, your tutelage. Yeah, I thought you did. And uh, he, Matt, uh, excuse me, uh, Nick Novak went on to become the ACC's all-time leading scorer at Maryland as a kicker. Had a nice NFL career. Has kicking camps and stuff now. And so Matt Ganyard has worked under him. Uh, Tony Elliott will be the first to tell you that Ganyard has – a nice pop to his leg. I've seen some video of him, and he's making some nice kicks from what I saw. Um, it's an interesting in college football. A lot of coaches don't want one guy to handle all the kicking, like PATs, field goals, and kickoffs. They'd rather spread that around in case a guy suffers an injury because then you've got all kinds of positions you've got to fill. If, if Ganyard can just be the kickoff guy, if nothing else, that's one less burden for the other kicker who uh, is a veteran but had a so-so year last year. So it's not like that door is closed. I'm sure there's plenty of competition in camp, and that Ganyard is, is a guy who that they're keeping their eye on close, closely. This story is just a beautiful story, a double who – uh, Jerry Ratcliffe reports on jerryratcliffe.com. He got his undergraduate degree in history from the University of Virginia in 2011. He's now a second-year Darden student pursuing an MBA. One of my favorite aspects of the story is the, uh, the military aspect here. Yes. Um, a, a, a Marine helicopter pilot, this guy. And, and, and you look at him, he's been you know must be drinking from the fountain of youth looks like he's like 21 22 years old not 34 no he looks like he's just one of the other guys totally on that does. Football team. Yeah. yeah i'm looking at his photo on your website and then i'm flipping over to the roster the virginia roster on virginiasports.com and his photo legitimately looks like he may get carded going into the biltmore on the corner okay um this is just a fantastic story uh, and another aspect of uva that we just love to follow um, questions have come in very quickly here, oh, Marlene. Oh, also, he's a, a, a husband and a father. A husband? There you go. Yeah. How about that for another yeah. story right there? This guy is married and has kids, and he's yeah. playing college football. Uh, Daniel Pettit is watching the program. He says, good morning, Jerry and Jerry. I'm at Smith Mountain Lake on the dock right now watching oh, you boys must be nice must be nice dan pettit i hope you get some tennis in i know how much you enjoy tennis marlene jones is watching the program marlene thank you kindly for watching the show um this question has come in from matthew uh, and matthew's watching in winchester can you boys give us an update on virginia football from a recruiting standpoint how is the how is this wahoo football team and coaching staff doing with recruiting in-state athletes I remember during um, London and Grow and the Welsh eras, the time when those coaches had a good, uh, good experience was when they started owning the Commonwealth from a recruiting standpoint. Well, he's exactly right. And that's something that's been lacking at UVA for quite some time is 
as successful as Bronco Mendenhall was at Virginia, they did a horrible job of recruiting in the state of state of Virginia. They just uh, they just couldn't establish those recruiting roots that those predecessors that he mentioned uh, were so successful in doing so. Uh, some of George Welsh's best teams, some of Al Groh's best team, Mike London's best teams, their rosters were chock full of Virginia athletes. And that's what uh, Tony Elliott would like to do again. If you talk to Chris Slade, that's certainly uh, something that, uh, that, that they talk about all the time in trying to make inroads and build those bridges back to where they can I don't know if they'll own the state again, but they'll certainly, if you get your share, that's the most important part. Um, they have a few kids that from this current recruiting class from the state of Virginia. Uh, they're not done yet. They have 15 commitments. I, I imagine they'll probably try to get around 10 more before to fill out this class. There's a few kids from Virginia. There's one from Highland Springs I know of who's, and that's a, a big start getting a player from one of the best programs, if not the best program in the state. And so that's something, it's a point of emphasis. Um, and, it's, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to take, but, you know, UVA and Tech both have been beaten for a lot of good players in recent years from Penn State, North Carolina, uh, some of the other powerhouse schools in the south and mid-Atlantic. Maryland has crept into the picture now. Maryland is, has stated that they're making Virginia a strong point of emphasis. They brought on uh, an assistant coach who has incredible ties to the state of Virginia. He's coached in a bunch of programs in the state, uh, high school and college. Uh, so that's something that that Virginia has to keep their eye on as well. Maryland, they not only took the Highland Springs quarterback, but they just got a commitment from, uh, I think, a four-star wide receiver from the state of Virginia last week. So uh, plenty of competition. And I'm not sure that this – I'm not sure that this is a great year for Virginia recruiting in terms of the, the quality of athlete in the state of Virginia. The, I'm not – the last two years I don't think it's been quite up to the – standards that the state usually pumps out. But um, I think it's important that Virginia has to get their share of them. And uh, right now they're not. And, and again, they've, they've got to worry about Penn State's taking a lot of kids. Maryland's taking some now. Carolina was taking a lot, but uh, the fact that they've got rid of Dre Bly from their coaching staff he was owning the 757. So, Virginia Beach guy. Yeah, he's a Virginia Beach guy. He was an NFL player. Defensive back. Yes. And um, so that, that may help open some doors in the Tidewater area. Chad Wood, welcome to the program. He was a member of Steve Isaac's single wing offense when they won a Jefferson District Championship 20 years ago when I was working for you at the Daily Progress. <laughs> yes, Brian Leskinick was also a member of that single wing uh, offense for Steve Isaacs. Brian Leskinick walked on the UVA football team 
had a cup of coffee before going, I believe, transferring to JMU. Scott Q, welcome to the program. Trevor Knight, St. Anne's Belfield point guard and quarterback and standout baseball player mm -hmm. who played at JMU, watching the program right now. Um, Bob Yarborough, huge Georgia Bulldogs fan, watching at Redfields right now. You mentioned Penn State. I would be remiss not to follow up the Nitty Lions reference with Biscuit Hagens and Anthony Poindexter, two guys that bleed orange and blue, now coaching um, for, for Penn State football. Marcus Hagens, the offensive recruiting coordinator for Penn State football. I would imagine Biscuit Hagens, with his ties to Hampton High School, and his ties to the Hampton Roads area is going to go after the Commonwealth for talent. Your thoughts on this? I would think so, and, and uh, I'm not sure what, what Poindexter is assigned to, but uh, if they send both those guys into the state, that's, that's uh, some heavy hitters that you're dealing against. And, uh, two legends. Very, two legends, two very popular guys. Uh, everybody loved Anthony Poindexter. I mean, he's, I still, to this day, uh, he's one of my favorite guys of all time, and uh, to this, I, I met him when he was an 18-year-old quarterback, defensive back at Brookville High School, and to this day, he still calls me Mr. Ratcliffe, even though I've asked him Call a me million Jerry. times not to do that. <laughs> he said, I can't help it. I disrespect you so much that I, I can't call you anything but Mr. Ratcliffe, but uh, he's one of the best guys of all time. Uh, Chris Long named one of his kids after him. I think maybe Biscuit did too. Um, Chris Long and, and Biscuit Hagens named yeah. one of their kids after Anthony Poindexter. I know Chris Long did. Uh, I, I think Biscuit may have as well. Um, uh, Biscuit, uh, obviously an incredible athlete for Al Grove and um, the only guy that's come close to making Bobby Bowden cuss, I think. <laughs> And that performance he put on in 2005 at Scott Stadium when Virginia upset Bowden and Bow I'll never forget. Uh, Biscuit had an incredible day, and um, I'll never forget Bobby Bowden saying after the game, we just couldn't stop that dadgum number 18. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, he put on quite a show. But uh, I was talking to my good friend Al Grow the other day and uh, Al dropped by the Penn, uh, Al was, he was invited to Penn State to talk to the Penn State coaches about defense. And Al is an incredible mind, uh, has an incredible defensive mind, particularly for the 3-4. I assume that they wanted to learn more about that and uh, he sent me a nice picture of him and, and Poindexter and Biscuit posing together along with James Franklin, their Penn State head coach. He's a great uh, coach. Yes, he is. And so, um, what, what was the original question? I, I got off on a tangent. There. Well, Biscuit and Poindexter, <laughs> are they going to own the Commonwealth from a recruiting oh. standpoint? I mean, they're not that far. Yeah, I mean, that's an easy trip. Uh, well, it's not an easy trip. If you're flying, it is, but uh, it's not an easy trip to Happy Valley from here. But, uh, yeah, they, I'm sure they're going to, if, if they're assigned to the state of Virginia, and I would assume James Franklin would do that, um, that's, I mean, that's 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 a tough duo to go up against because, they're, like you said, they're legends in the state. Uh, even the kids growing up today, if they don't know about them, it's easy to find out about them. I'm sure their coaches and parents know about them. So uh, I wouldn't want to be recruiting against those two guys <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> they're both uh, great personalities and good down-to-earth 
people and good family men. So, uh, and uh, Biscuit did an incredible job down here off the field as well, not not just with uh, the athletes, but you know he, he he reached out into the community and, and had all sorts of uh, runs and walks, getting kids, underprivileged kids and stuff involved, and. Uh, taking people to the uh, monument for the slaves at UVA and all sorts of things like that. Just to, He was just so heavily involved in the community. So that, it was another aspect of him that just made him the man he is. Mark Lickman watching the program. Love uh, Mark Lickman, one of my favorite guys. Great guy. He says, good morning to two of my favorite Jerry's. Mark Lickman, we love when you watch the show. Um, ACC teams to watch. What do you think the outsider UVA... What do you see as the teams to watch this year in college football in the Atlantic Coast Conference? Well, you, you got to start with Clemson, no matter what you do. Um, they had an off year last year and still won nine or ten games. So um, they have a lot of people back. Uh, a lot of things are going to center around whether their quarterback can live up to the reputation. He came into Clemson as the number one quarterback recruit in the country a couple of years ago. Um, they were going to redshirt him. He didn't really do much in last season because they had veteran guy in there who drew a lot of wrath from Tiger fans because he wasn't putting up the kind of numbers that they were accustomed to, and they pinned a lot of the blame on him. Uh, they they started this this freshman in the bowl game, I believe, against Tennessee. If I'm Excuse me, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, yeah, he 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 was okay. He wasn't great, but again, it was his first start. He played the whole game. Uh, the other guy left because he could see that this guy was the quarterback of their future. So a lot of the their success this year is tied around how good he's going to be. They do have incredible lot of talent returning, and. Yeah, they're, I think they've got a little chip on their shoulder because uh, they fell off the, a little bit the last couple of years. People are doubting whether they can be the dominant force in the league that they were when they, they had a mini, mini dynasty going on down there. They made won a couple of national championships. They were in the playoffs. They were the, for the longest period of time, it was Clemson and the – 13 dwarfs or whatever you want to call them because nobody else in the league was doing anything. That being said, Florida State got a lot of first place votes in the ACC preseason poll down in Charlotte that we attended a couple of weeks ago. Um, Mike Norvell has done a surprisingly good job in turning that program around. They've coming off one of the best recruiting years in the country and they probably had the best recruiting year through the transfer portal of anybody in the nation this past spring. So there's a lot of talent, including a former Wahoo, Fentrell Cypress, who was all ACC and one of the most highly sought after corners in the country in the transfer portal. Uh, A lot of people think Florida State is poised to make a run. We'll see. I think they have an early season game with LSU that will tell us a lot. But uh, you know, beyond those two, some people are 
still buying at North Carolina is a team to watch. Uh, Drake May is a Heisman candidate quarterback. Uh, he's lost some of his uh, playmakers from last season. Does Coastal Division go through Chapel Hill? Well, we don't have a Coastal Division. Oh, that's anymore. right. That's right. That's right. It's uh, it's first year. Aggregate. It's an aggregate thing. Yeah. So you, the top two teams will play in the ACC championship game in Charlotte. Right. Uh, some people think Carolina can be there if they can shore up their defense, which has been their problem the last several years. NC State, with uh, they're counting on uh, Brendan Armstrong to lead them to glory. We'll see. Um, they're a, a, they've been a good program. Some people think that Mario Cristobal has it going on in Miami. They have a veteran quarterback. I'm not sure he's as good as advertised. They do have a lot of talent. They've recruited well. Uh, some people just don't think that Miami can get it done. We'll, we'll see. Uh, those are probably the schools that have the best chance of challenging Florida State and Clemson for those top spots. Uh, some of the others that are on the fringe have the unfortunate um, task of playing both Florida State and Clemson on their schedule. And I think Wake Forest even plays Notre Dame in that mix. So uh, that that's a lot to overcome for a team that's on the cusp of of that middle of the pack. So those those are the schools right now that people believe uh, are going to be in contention Kathy, for the ACC title. Kathy Piller watching in Rome, Georgia, um, giving us some props on the show right now. Um, comments are coming in. We'll see if we can get to... A lot of to. Wahoos down in Georgia. Yeah, there are a ton of Wahoos. ton of Wahoos in the Atlanta, Buckhead um, area of yeah, Georgia. I've, I've met a lot of those people through Twitter, believe it or not, and I'll see them at Georgia Tech games and stuff. It's, a, it's great to, to meet those people. Absolutely, absolutely. A lot, of, um, a lot of Wahoos in finance in that portion of uh, Georgia. Comments are coming in pretty quickly here. We'll get to uh, a few viewer and listener comments and... Put your thoughts in the feed. We'll relay them live on air here on the uh, Jerry and Jerry Show. This one's coming from Memphis. Um, do we just discount? First, he says, I'm a UVA graduate of 2001. Should we just discount the first game of the season with the Vols? As Jerry said, they're a 28-point favorite. And which game on this calendar or which game on this schedule is the one that you'll say this is a true test of what the season could be? It's not a bad question. Yeah. Very good question. Uh, wow. Um, I mean, on paper, it's a mismatch uh, against Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has SEC championship aspirations. Um, they have collected a lot of talent. Uh, maybe not the right way because Jeremy Pruitt uh, got them put <laughs> on probation. Uh, so, But there's a lot of talent in that program. Uh, like I said, they had one of the most prolific offenses in the nation last year. They are a very high-paced, high-tempo offense. They, I think uh, in one game last year, uh, they had over 40 snaps in the first half. So uh, that's going to be a test for John Rudzinski's defense to be able to keep up with that pace. But Virginia runs a high uh, tempo as well, so they're getting some looks at that in practice. Um, a lot of people don't think 28 points is enough, that that it could be a, a lot more than that. And uh, 
it would be hard to argue that because even as good as Virginia's defense is, if Virginia's offense can't do something in that game, then it's going to put the defense under just tremendous pressure. And you, you don't want to be under that kind of pressure against a, a prolific dynamic offense and a dynamic quarterback like that who can throw the ball 80 yards on the fly. Um, you think they cover, don't you, the Vols? They should. I mean, if they don't, they're going to have to look themselves in the mirror and see, you know, what's what's not right with their program. Um, I, I think a probably, this game is on national TV. This is a this is yeah. a 12 p.m. kickoff on ABC here. Yes, it's. Yeah. You got to be careful what you wish for. Right. Sometimes. I know. <laughs> There's been so many moments for Virginia football over the past 10, 20 years where. They had a national showcase. Limelight shined on them, and it didn't didn't end so well. And so, uh, you got to be careful with with those kind of moments. It can, it can help you, or it can hurt you. We got uh, comments. And, and, and the rest of his question, I'm sorry. Uh, I would say probably the Maryland and NC State game are going to give us a true indication of what this team is all about. Maryland, September 15th in College Park, 7 o'clock kickoff. Um, NC State, Friday, September 22nd here in Charlottesville, a 7.30 p.m. kickoff. Both those games, Friday night, under the lights, on some big-time TV scenarios. NC State, ESPN, Maryland, Fox Sports 1. This is an interesting question that's coming from Stephen. Stephen is watching in the McLean area, and he says, how about some uh, ACC expansion talks? Is uh, Ratcliffe surprised, he says, that expansion did not go as some of the national outlets were reporting it would go? Uh, I wasn't thoroughly convinced that it was going to happen. Uh, I knew there was some opposition going in. I, it was difficult to tell how much because the ADs and presidents weren't saying much to anyone. Um, and they, they still haven't said a whole lot. Um, we do know that Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and NC State were solid no's. Uh, we don't know where the rest of the league stood on that, ex except for Notre Dame, who strongly pushed the ACC into accepting Stanford and Cal. I don't think they were too gung-ho on SMU. SMU, yeah. But uh, they wanted Stanford and Cal for the academic reputation, uh, which would certainly enhance the ACC. And that was part of the equation. It wasn't just football. It wasn't just athletics. Uh, the ACC prides itself in being one of the most, uh, or if not the most significant academic league in the country. And they take that very seriously. The presidents do. And uh, so that was something that Notre Dame was interested in. I still question why the ACC ever allowed to have Notre Dame to have full voting power when they're not a full league member. I think that's caused a lot of ruffles. Um, not only that, but there's been a few things that have raised the ire of some ACC schools in recent years when we had the COVID year and we everybody had to play. There was no divisions that year. Notre Dame was able, because they couldn't put together a schedule, the ACC said, come on board. You can play for our championship. 
And they did. They played in the ACC championship game, and that ruffled a lot of feathers. Um, you know, if, if you're so interested in us bailing you out, then why is it you refuse to join the league and bail us out? Because that's the one thing, Jerry, right now, with all this expansion going on around the country, if Notre Dame just said, yes, we're going to play ACC football, we're an ACC full member, we're an ACC football team, that would save the ACC. There would no be, it would, that would end all talks about leaving the league. Uh, it would put the ACC solidly on the map right there with anybody else. There would be no more controversy about any of this stuff. Uh, but Notre Dame won't do it for selfish reasons. A lot of their younger alumni would like to see them in a league. It's the older alumni that don't want it. I don't know if that's ever going to change, but um, you know, if we if we get down into a thing where there's only two super conferences, they may have to join a league because who are they going to play? Uh, all these teams are going to be playing 10, 10 or eleven conference games, uh, if not twelve. So you know, who are you going to play? They're going to knock out all the lesser teams that they're playing now. The the group of five and all that stuff, they'll be just be playing each other. So uh, Notre Dame could be in a bind there. But uh, I can't say that I was totally surprised that it was a no. It never even got to a vote. Um, I, it was kind of surprising to me that they didn't explore the and, – and it's still not completely off the table. The SMU there's, wrinkle. There's still some talks going on. It, it's not like that – it's a completely dead issue. It, it doesn't seem too healthy right now and it's on life support. But. I mean, SMU in particular really tried to incentivize their inclusion in the ACC by saying, we won't even take the, the money for five to seven years, as yes. you've reported on your website. I have a good source out in uh, Fort Worth, and, and they're very familiar with everything that goes on with SMU. And uh, they told me that the, the, there's so many wealthy SMU alumni and boosters that they were willing to give the SMU athletic program over $200 million to make up for what they would lose by not taking ACC money. And so uh, that, that's a deal that's just hard to refuse. And the Dallas market's a great market. It's a, it's a great market. Uh, my source out there tells me that even though it's a great market, that SMU doesn't own as much of it as we might think, uh -huh. that it's more Texas more Texas A&M, it's more TCU. Uh -huh. SMU is kind of the stepchild. Uh, now, if they became a Power Five member and started playing some schools like Florida State, Clemson, etc., Notre Dame every now and then, uh, that might change. They might be a, a bigger piece of that Dallas market. But it also opens up. Uh, the Texas rich football recruiting territory to ACC schools, which would uh, would certainly be a welcome welcome thing. But Absolutely. Well, we'll see. It. It. I don't know if I should. Well, I won't say this on air, but <laughs> it's, it's something that my source told me out there about how desperate SMU is to to join a Power Five conference. But it was on my website. I'll leave it there. You can look it up. Uh, you. You. This is what you report here. Um, 
Reportedly, ESPN would be required to pay the ACC between 33 and 35 million for each new member, and it would be the ACC's decision on how that money would be distributed. Even though SMU would not take a piece of the pie for several years down the road, supposedly both Cal and Stanford would have accepted a less than full share, about 70% of what current ACC members would receive in added TV revenue. I'm surprised expansion didn't happen and I know you said it's not off the table completely but it seems like it's we're at a, a point of college sports college football that it's time to batten down the hatches and strengthen the league before these teams get pulled into other conferences well, that's the one thing I thought might make it happen I thought if they expanded and became an 18 team league like the big 10 and the big 12 uh, there's strength in numbers, I, th I believe, and I, th I think that would have made the ACC more stable. Um, it still might not have been enough to satisfy Florida State, uh, who has until today, by the way, to inform the conference whether it's leaving or not, and there's no indication that that's coming. Right. So, uh, but I, I thought an 18-team league uh, would make the ACC more stable, harder to break up, harder to fall apart, uh, harder for other teams to to steal your to poach to poach, yeah. And so um, that part surprised me that that wasn't given a little bit more talk and discussion consideration. What's the future for Cal and Stanford? That's a very good question. Uh, I think right now some people are saying that they could merge with the AAC the uh, American Athletic Conference, which East Carolina and SMU and Houston, a bunch of those schools are, are uh, part of, South Florida, I think. Uh, that would make them, if they accept Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, Washington State, that would make them an 18-team league, and they would stretch from coast to coast. Uh, with that, those four-pack four teams uh, they would they would have their own little pod so probably 70 to 80 percent of their travel would be pretty much on the west coast uh, or at least not too far from some of the teams in the middle of the country so that seems to be a possibility there's a, uh, also a possibility that the pack four and the mountain west could potentially merge uh, who knows there's some discussion there uh, a lot of people are saying that Cal and Stanford are still calling in every favor they have trying still trying to get the Big Ten to take them in uh, who knows Big Ten says we're not interested in any more expansion and how many times have we heard that over the past year and they went ahead and expanded anyway um, Dave Butler's got so a question we'll, for you. Yeah, we'll see. This is from Dave on LinkedIn. Um, he says, Jerry Ratcliffe's thoughts on UVA maybe making a move themselves to save the SEC. Uh, from everything I hear, that if, that if the Magnificent Seven has their way, if the ACC falls apart, from everything I, I hear through the grapevine, if the if Virginia goes to another conference, it would be the Big Ten and not 
the SEC because of the academic profile. Uh, Virginia is one of the few schools in that academic realm that fits in with most of the Big Ten schools. North Carolina does as well. Uh, and there's been some talk about a package deal of Virginia and Carolina going to the Big Ten if things do deteriorate, uh, that they just wouldn't be the same fit for the SEC. So uh, nothing official about that. Obviously, nobody wants to talk about that on the record. But well, everything I hear off the record uh, seems to be floating in that direction. Um, final question on conference expansion. This is from Leslie, who is watching. Leslie, it says your heat map is, is this the Dan, somewhere in southwestern Virginia. It's not as precise in, uh, on this portion of the map. And she says, can we finally put ACC expansion talks to rest now that the football season is about to start? Or is this something that's going to linger um, for years to come? I think it will linger for years to come, particularly with you know, people still don't know that if college uh, expansion, conference expansion is done. Uh, nobody really trusts what the Big Ten is saying. Uh, the SEC says they're satisfied for the moment. Um, the Big 12 is very active. They had a lot of their teams robbed, so there's, they've kind of got a chip on their shoulder. They want to uh, it's, it's like when Gene Corrigan told me back, uh, former great Charlottesville resident, former AD at Virginia Notre Dame and ACC commissioner told me when the first college expansion started and the Big Ten took Penn State, uh, Gene Corrigan said, you know, we all got kind of got caught with our pants down because nobody expected that. And I, we promise we'll never be surprised like that again and so he was constantly having meetings of his conference officials ever so often every year uh, not and several times a year and he would ask he would assign uh, some of his uh, assistant commissioners to explore various teams around the country and what those schools had to offer geographically, TV revenue, uh, fan base, uh, academics, uh, a lot of categories. So if expansion ever did happen again, that they'd be ready. And uh, he's the one that went after Syracuse and Florida State, got Florida State. Syracuse only wanted in at the time as a basketball playing member. Uh, excuse me, football playing member. They wanted to uh, stay in the Big East in basketball, and, and that didn't work. So that never happened at the time. But uh, yeah, that just goes to show that uh, I think all these commissioners are always having people studying what's out there. There's not a whole lot left to scoop up unless you, uh, unless somebody in a major conference wants to uh, leave for what some reason that uh, I can't figure out right now because they'd be leaving a lot of money on the table. But yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see conference expansion just come to a screeching halt. It's something that's always going to be talked about behind closed doors and 
and we may not know about it until it's it actually happens right in front of us like Texas Oklahoma did out of the blue Southern Cal UCLA did out of the blue nobody saw that coming and we may not see the next wave coming um, Dan Pettit's got a great compliment for you guys Dan Pettit says this um, Jerry Ratcliffe thanks for a great knowledge on football I'm someone who does not watch a lot of football but I very much enjoyed today's show great talk today thank you Jerry Ratcliffe Dan Pettit sitting at the dock at Smith Mountain Lake watching the He's Jerry living the dream, isn't he? living <laughs> the dream right now at Smith Mountain Lake um, folks are wanting us to talk a little hoops we promise we'll talk some basketball here on the program if you if you want a great read look at the uh, read the Dante Harris story on jerryratcliffe.com my son Scott actually wrote this Scott, Scott Ratcliffe he did a hell of a job he's a hell of a journalist Scott Ratcliffe I've known him for years as well um, a point guard a transfer from Georgetown a guy that can put the ball in the bucket um, uh, uh, I think is a guy that's going to get some minutes this year for Tony Bennett. So why don't we start Dante Harris two-part question. Your thoughts, Jerry Ratcliffe team thoughts on Dante Harris expectations this year. And the second part of the question is, we got some, we got some guards on this roster. Do we have a crowded backcourt here, Hootie? Uh, it's a good problem to have for Tony Bennett. And those who know how Tony operates. He likes to play two point guards at the same time, so that's not an issue. Uh, and he sometimes will play three guards. We've seen him play four guards at, at all at one time before. So, uh, uh, again, it, it's a good way to attack other teams because you got a guy, guy who, a lot of guys who can handle the ball, who can pass well, who can score, who can defend. Dante Harris was the Big East tournament. MVP a couple of years ago. Uh, nobody saw that coming from him. Uh, he was supposed to be a guy that didn't get that many minutes, but he, he shined. He had, a, he had a great season, had a great tournament. Uh, like you said, the guy can light it up. I don't know that anybody is going to light it up in, in Tony's offense. Uh, not many have since Joe Harris, but it's just the way things are structured. But uh, if it's good to know that you have a guy who can score if you need him to score, if you need a basket. If you last year they didn't have a real, uh, really confirmed go-to guy, and I think that hurt the team down the stretch when they struggled to score in in a lot of games, and it and, and, and it hurt them in the NCAA tournament. It cost them cost them a chance to move on. But uh, Dante Harris, uh, my favorite story about this kid is he played for Curtis Staples, the UVA all-time three-point champion at a private school out in Tennessee. And uh, Curtis, I, was a little, I listened to my son's interview with Curtis, and he said, uh, he said my favorite memory of, 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 of this kid is that we were down by 20 points or more at halftime in a game. And uh, he said, I chewed him out at halftime. I said, if you want to be an elite player, and you want to be a guy that Division One schools won, then you're, you're just playing lackadaisically. You're, you're not getting it done. You, I don't, where's your head? And obviously, his halftime talk was effective. Was more than effective. <laughs> The kid went out and scored 37 points 
and they won in overtime. He had 56 points for the game. <laughs> and so uh, that just shows you that, that, that this kid is pretty savvy. And uh, he's uh, he's working. He, he, you know, one of the good things about him transferring early last year, he, he came down for the Virginia-Duke game, I believe, and committed to Virginia shortly after. He had set out the season and didn't go back to Georgetown. And so by committing and, and enrolling, he was able to practice with the team the rest of the season, learn the offense, learn the pack line defense, get familiar with his teammates. One of the most animated guys on the sidelines during yeah. basketball games, <laughs> always having fun on the sideline. Always. And uh, he just seems like a really good kid and a, a good team player, good locker room guy. So uh, I think he's a great addition to the team. This, this guy can put the ball in the bucket, guys. As a senior at Lakeaway Christian Academy, um, he averaged 32.6 points per game, as Scott Ratcliffe reports. Nine dimes a game, 4.2 rebounds a game. He can score. Here's the question I have for you. What's the backcourt going to look like? What's the starting lineup going to look like? you got a lot of guards on this roster that can score, that are talented. How do you see this shaking out? Well, uh, we all know that Reese Bigman is the man. This is his team. He came back, could have gone to the NBA. And I think he's going to come back with a fury and, and have an incredible year. Um, so, you know, it all starts with him. He's going to be the main guy in the backcourt. Um, we could see him starting with Dante. Um, and McNeely at the three. Uh, we could see McNeely at the two. Uh, there's a lot of interchangeable parts there. Um, Rody, uh, Andrew Rody, who led all freshman scorers in the nation in Division One last year. Shoots the Saint, lights out. Out of St. Thomas College, was uh, obviously overlooked coming out of college and was in a Division Three program. He can light it up. Uh, he can definitely light it up. So you got plenty of guards to choose from, and uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to be envious of Tony Bennett and those kind of guys that he can shuffle in and out of games. And it's, you know, you know somebody's going to be hot out of that group. There's no way that they can all uh, have a cold, uh, cold hand. So it may just be a matter of, of who's hot on what night. But uh, it, it should be a, a fun thing to watch to see who ends up with the most playing time out of those groups. We may see different guys start from game to game depending on matchups and, and uh, personnel. And you, you mentioned in our pre-production meeting we should not sleep on Leon Bond. Leon Bond uh, redshirted last year, uh, stuck around. And I've heard a lot of good things about him, that he's tearing it up in practice, that he's uh, – become somewhat of a stud uh, and we got Ryan Dunn who uh, even before his sophomore year of college started he's already being projected as an NBA guy next year. They're saying a DeAndre Hunter clone. Yes and, and they told him that when they recruited him and I think that's one of the things that convinced him he wanted to come to Virginia even when they, they ran out of scholarships and he decided that he was going to walk on and pay his own way. He wanted to play for Tony Bennett that bad. So uh, they've got tons of guys, and you got the, the, the kid from Oklahoma who uh, 
just tore it up in scoring last year in the pre in the uh, non-conference part of the schedule, end of the early part of the conference schedule in the Big 12, hit a scoring slump at the end of the season, but uh, apparently he's got his touch back and playing well in these scrimmages that they're having amongst these guys now, and so. Uh, I just think this is going to be an exciting, fun team to watch. I, I saw on Twitter yesterday some idiot out there who obviously didn't do his homework. His biggest take on the coming basketball season nationally is that Virginia won't make the NCAA tournament. That's crazy. And I think this guy's nuts. Yeah. Uh, That's Looney Tunes. This is going to be one of the deepest better, teams. Be one of the better Virginia teams that we've seen, I think, because they're going to have so many multiple guys who can score. And play make, and uh, the defense is always going to be there. So I, I think it's an abundance of riches, and they're already building chemistry. That was my only question mark. And talking to these guys, uh, and listening to Scott's interviews with some of these players, and he's interviewed several of the newcomers. That chemistry is already there, and so it's just a matter of working it out in games uh, once the season starts. I love it. I love everything that we're doing here. I love sitting across from this guy. I love talking hoops. I love talking football, the ACC, UVA. Um, time flies when you're sitting across from a friend and we have a topic matter in common. How about some closing thoughts for the viewers and listeners? Uh, I had a, a good podcast with Christian Bliss. Uh, oh, yeah? Who uh, committed to Virginia after his official visit here this summer and he chose Virginia over Miami, Villanova, Xavier. Uh, he was Virginia's number one recruiting target. And it was funny, Jerry, uh, he was supposed to be for next year's recruiting class. Well, he liked what he saw here so much. He reclassified and gra he had the credits to graduate. He's now here. He, he went to Portugal with his mother last week on vacation, came straight to Charlottesville He's working out with the team now. He's going to redshirt this year to build his body, learn the system like Dante Harris did, except he'll be here for a full year. He's Virginia's point guard of the future. Six-foot-four point guard from Queens. He's one of these New York City guys with the swagger, baby. And uh, he, he, he told me, he says, One, tell Virginia fans, everywhere I go, I win. And I promise I'm going to win at Virginia. I love the swagger. One thing he did not win at was was a ping pong match against Tony Bennett. <laughs> I read that in your story. Yes, that that's. I think that is one of the cool things. We'll talk about that at some point. We'll touch on it now if you want to. But uh, he saw. You know, he was still. He still wasn't sure that Virginia was the place for him. He, he went to Tony's house on his official visit. Had great barbecue dinner and hung out with players, coaches, I guess, and uh, made the mistake of challenging Tony to a ping pong match, which is probably the worst thing you can do because Tony's really good at ping pong and he's competitive. Not only, yeah, not only is he good, but he will. He hates losing. You, baby. Yeah, he, he won't. He doesn't want to lose at anything. Right. Uh, and um, so uh, to. Talk to Christian. I said, "Well, what was, what was your what was your match like with him?" He says, "I got 
Dustin. Yeah, he said Dustin, Dustin. in the story. I love that. He said, well, I only played one game because I had enough. But he said, during that match, he said, I saw a different side of Tony Bennett. He said, I had talked to him a lot of times. He had seen me play a lot of times. He was always the perfect gentleman, uh, mild-mannered, uh, you know, just the cool guy. He says, in that ping-pong match, I saw the eye of the tiger. And he will tear you up. And he that appealed to him. He will spare you no mercy. Right, and Bliss liked that. He give you nothing. Right. Yeah, Bliss loved that. And he said, I knew right then that that's the guy I wanted to play for. And, the, the, and that's a lot of these kids are, that, that come here see different sides of Tony Bennett convinces them. Jordan Miner uh, spent the last 15 minutes of their telephone conversation exchanging psalms with Tony Bennett out of the Bible uh, something that he didn't expect and something that wasn't planned it just came up in conversation and he said I knew right then that this was a guy I wanted to play for there's so many aspects of Tony Bennett that, that we don't get to see as public or even media uh, Truly sometimes a, uh... we see it a little bit as media because we get to be around him a little bit but uh you know, most of the people, don't, he's such a private guy, we, we don't get to see that. So it's great hearing these stories about how he impresses these kids by under-promising, over-delivering. That's one of his favorite mottos. I love it. Truly a renaissance man, Coach Bennett. Also a renaissance man, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, namesake of jerryratcliffe.com. I encourage all you viewers and listeners on all the social platforms this show is airing upon, visit jerryratcliffe.com for all your UVA sports news and knowledge. We're on the site every single day. Hootie and Chris and Scott do an absolute fantastic bang-up job covering this program. My friend, we go an hour and 17 minutes without stopping. It was truly a joy um, the show even easier than the first time, and I thought the first time, um, the first show was a grand slam. We love connecting with the viewers and listeners. We, you know, word on the street is we may be having lunch delivered to the studio here from Raising Canes. Wow. Very excited cool. about that. One of my I, favorite places. I think it's literally walking in right now, lunch from Raising Canes. Judah Wickhauer is going to get it. Come on in. Oh, there we go. There we go. Um, so <laughs> I'm we're gonna, hungry, too. I know. I'm hungry, as well. We're going to get off air um, on the program. Jerry Ratcliffe, Jerry Miller, The Jerry and Jerry Show on a Tuesday in downtown Charlottesville with 12 different states watching Jerry Ratcliffe and I on this program. Thank you kindly for joining us, guys. We will see you next Tuesday at 10.15 a.m. for the third edition of The Jerry and Jerry Show. So long, everybody. <laughs>